Welcome to this episode of Reddit Guy. The subreddit we will listen to today is called r slash pro revenge. Our first post of this episode comes from Ceramics Seminar and it's titled Neighbors were consistently loud, so I got a bit louder, at the wrong time of the year laughing face. Throughout the year I had noisy and thoughtless neighbors. They would often have loud parties that would go to the early hours of the morning. They were all in university, and of Indian decent, this becomes important later on. I had called the police, called the apartment manager, nobody would do anything about it. I was losing sleep, and my work was becoming affected as well. I had spoken to them directly, and they completely disregarded me, and refused to just shut the fuck up. This went on for months, and I was riding out my lease to move somewhere else. One day I'm sitting watching TV on a nice spring day, and I have my windows wide open, and I hear one of the neighbor's friends come over, and he asks if he's coming out, and he says no, he needs to study for an important test he's taking the next day. This little snippet of information was all I needed. His friend leaves and he closes the door. I then proceeded to take my speakers and put them up against the walls, near where I knew his desk was, there were balconies outside so I often saw him studying here, and I began to blare Mertzbo and death metal straight at the wall. I put on my noise-cancelling headphones and just blasted it as loud as possible for hours. My landlord actually ended up coming into the apartment, because I didn't hear him knocking, and he's obviously flipping out, but I'm like, Mayor, you never did shit when I complained so good luck. Call the cops laughing face, my lease was set to be up soon anyway, and I was leaving the state, so fuck y'all. So landlord leaves, and I'm still amped up on adrenaline, and it's quiet for maybe 20 minutes, and I just intermittently start blasting music. The neighbor comes over irate, screaming that he has this big test, and he's got to pass it, apparently a medical student, and I just laughed in his face and said, I don't hear anything. He then makes a fantastic mistake, which was telling me he didn't just have a final tomorrow, but it was finals week. Oh great, added stress for the week equals the fact that I continue doing this every night for the rest of the week. I set my alarm to go off every 30 minutes, and I would bang on the walls with a hammer and blast music, and I was going a bit crazy as well, but that didn't matter, because I was fucking up this guy's life. Around day three of no sleep for anyone, he comes over screaming about how in India his family will disown him and all this nonsense, which just made me laugh and just said the same thing over and over, that I didn't hear the music, and I think it was coming from somewhere else. I basically just started gaslighting him, acting really nice when he came over in a rage. That weekend the landlord gave some bullshit notice that I had to leave, which I was fine with, because he broke my lease and I wanted to get out anyway, so I got my deposit back. On the last morning I was there, I was moving out, and I knocked on the dickhead neighbor's door at like 8am and asked him if he wanted this old air conditioner I was going to throw out otherwise. He was totally in a daze, and I don't know if he really understood what was happening any longer. Anyway, hopefully I fucked up his life, and his future a bit. Should have shut the fuck up when I told him numerous times. The next post from Snittle23 is titled Besting a Travel Insurer. In 2013, my dad passed away while my brother and I were on our own independent international adventures. I was in Spain and my brother was in Canada and we needed to get back to Australia. My travel insurance was dodgy but eventually paid out after a few complaints, which is pretty standard practice. My brother tried to claim $9,000. He could only get one emergency seat on a bunch of connecting flights and with that and his flight back after the funeral etc, and other cancellations, it all added up. Shock horror, his claim was rejected. Back then, there wasn't an industry body that dealt with travel insurance companies or if there was, we had no idea what it was. 
so my bro went through the usual hurdles involved with the appeals and complaints process. Eventually they told him that his claim for $9,326 was rejected and their determination was final. So, back then companies didn't really have Twitter handles, especially not insurance companies. So my bro, Ever the Troll, created a Twitter handle in this insurance company's name, complete with their official logo. He quickly set about gaining thousands of followers and legitimately began answering their questions with truthful albeit, quite negative responses. Things like, cue my daughter and I want to travel to Paris. What insurance cover would you recommend? We would recommend you take the premium for our comprehensive cover and burn it. We don't like to pay out on for any insurable event because it upsets our shareholders. Have fun in Paris, etc. etc. The insurance company got wind of this and sent him a cease and desist letter. My brother counter offered with a contract for the company to purchase the Twitter account and 2,500 potential customers for the very reasonable price of $9,326. They agreed. The next post from Psychosteve 10mm is titled Be sure to pay your IT help. Dot. I had been working at a computer repair shop on a commission-based system. We would get PCs in and the techs would not get paid until the repair work was paid for and if the client did not pay for the work performed the shop would take possession after a time and resell the equipment. It was not uncommon for the techs to be screwed out of work they had done. To make this job sound even more appealing the shop owner would throw PCs from his friends and family to fix which was not paid work. I was looking forward to a pretty big check due to just cranking out the repairs but I found out that these were all friends of the owners so I worked for free those two weeks. One of the things that we do is pull the HDs and create a complete image of the whole drive for archival protection to be wiped after the job is done. Turns out that the owner of the computer shop and his wife were part of the swingers community and were hosting a small but local swingers site that they ran off of the notebook they brought in for repairs. I grabbed the hard drive and told the owner that he needed to pay me for the work I had done. The owner fired me on the spot. I had grabbed my tools and I walked out the door without realizing I had the HD in my hand. The owner had built a reputation in the small town it was located in for being a good Christian business, and the owner portrayed himself as a pillar of the community. I happened to get the information off the drive and I was able to get access to his passwords, plus close to 4 terabytes of pics and videos of their swingers website. Waiting on my 3 weeks for the last check I decided that I would go scorched earth instead of looking for a payout. Step 1 His business. I had some time to look over the labor laws and found out he violated quite a few of them with me. We were treated as contractors but he took out taxes and SSI which he never paid into the system. The other thing was we were required to clock in like hourly employees but were paid on commission so due to the pay structure, many employees were getting well under minimum wage for some weeks. Step 2 His reputation. Having the sign-on information I decided to do a few interesting things with the company website and their swingers website. I put a link at the bottom of the company webpage where I directed people to the swingers site they ran and I changed the password authentication to allow everyone into the paid areas of the site. I also took down some of the pixelated pictures of him and his current wife and posted the original pics. It took them about a week to find out about all of this. I also sent out a mass email to everyone on the owner's email list to check out the swingers site. I also gave his ex-wife the drive to help her in her court battle the fallout. Long-standing contracts had terminated by his clients in droves. The Labour Board did an investigation and fined him for his rule-breaking and the IRS did an audit where they found further evidence of his crimes. 
In the end, he lost his business, his kids, his reputation, and his current wife because he thought he was too much of a big shot to not pay his IT help. The next post from Wild Sodomy is titled Mess with the Dominatrix and You'll Cry. Alerts, NSFW, Mobile, No Native English. I work as a cam girl, doing video chats with guys for money. Most of the sessions I have are fetish related and I work for many small sites. One day I had a guy wanting to be my slave, meaning he wanted me to be a dominatrix and to command him to perform painful and degrading acts on himself. Most of these so-called slaves are actually very softcore in what they are willing to do. Initially he paid for a one-hour session and we got along so well he paid for a second hour. At the start of the session I always set up a safe word and we talk about turn-ons, limits and I respect them, it's part of the dom-sub dynamic to build a trustful relationship. I did the session, he seemed happy and so was I. He was indeed very softcore. A month later the site owner messaged me to say that a client contacted him accusing me of fraud, threatening to call the police. He said I blackmailed him to make him send money and never delivered the session. I showed the screenshots of the conversation so I was off the hook with the site and they didn't issued a refund, but the guy asked for a chargeback in his credit card company and I had around $400 bucks deducted from my paycheck. It's important to stress that services of sexual nature have very different billing rules. It's against the terms of service of all the mainstream payment processes such as PayPal, Venmo, Google Pay, etc. You have to own a high-risk merchant account with very high fees so we use third-party companies that facilitate it for us. Some of them cover these eventual chargebacks, others don't. This one didn't. Fast forward six months, I was contacted on Skype by a guy wanting to be my slave for one hour. This is not a rare request so I didn't connect the dots at first. I sent him a link for payment, luckily this time in a site that cover chargebacks. He paid. When he opened his camera, there he was. I never forgot his face and accent because he was very weird. It was the same guy who accused me of fraud and got his money back. I'd have terminated the call right away, but knowing I was protected by chargeback in this other site, I decided to get my revenge so I pretended I haven't recognized him. Knowing he was softcore but willing to obey, I started to give him tasks that were literally turn-offs for him. I didn't set up a safe word this time. I let it escalate quickly to very hardcore stuff and used all the mind games to push him to his limits. He went 20 minutes straight, he was crying until he gave up and hung up on me. I even called back a few times and he didn't answer. I clearly stated that his remaining minutes were forfeited because he left the session on his own will. A week later the owner of the site asked for proof of the session, because the client contacted them saying the service wasn't delivered and he wanted a refund. I had everything documented, they pay for the time not for the actions, so whatever happened in the session is at our own discretion. He never got the refund and this site has a chargeback protection so he didn't get the money back this time. He is blacklisted now and never heard from him again. I hope he left the BDSM world for good. TLDR, submissive guy booked online session with a dominatrix, made false accusations to get his money back. Six months later he show up again, I pretend I didn't recognize him and made he do things he didn't like until he hung up crying. The next post from Jerdman76 is titled Competitor IT Company Steals Our Articles. I owned an IT company, we'll call it Uber Tech, that strictly manages business networks, no website development, graphics, etc. One of my employees was tackling an interesting support request with instructions for making changes to a company's website. This happens from time to time where a customer gets confused with the various tech vendors, or assumes that we provide all tech-related services. 
He called the person to get more context and being in earshot, I could tell that my employee's call was quickly escalating with a frustrated person on the other end, and he has already offered to pass the call of to his manager, me. Me. Uber tech, how can I help you? Pissed off website owner, web owner, I want to know what is going on here. I don't know who you are, I don't know why you're calling me, and I don't know why you have my support information. Me. Sir, to be honest, I don't know who you are, why we are calling you, and why we have your support information either, but together I think we can figure this out. I understand that you have a website and made a request for some changes. Who hosts your website? Web owner, Derp Company. On their support website there are instructions to send support requests, I followed him and now I have you calling me with my support information. Me. Sir, I definitely want to get down to the bottom of this. We do not even offer website services. If you would please work with me, I am sure we can get an answer. What I want to do is have you share your screen with me and then show me what you did to request support. I had him run our remote control software. He then proceeded to navigate to Derpco's support website, support.derpco.com, navigated through the customer self-service pages to a knowledge base article, KB, on how to submit a support. He pulled up this specific KB article and I was staring at a verbatim copy of an article that I had written on our own support site. There were no changes to the article including the step 2, email your support request to, and it was my company's email address right there. Me. Thank you for taking the time to show me this, I think I found the problem. Notice the email address in the instructions, it is telling you to email ubertech.com, that is us. Now, please allow me to show you something. I then scrolled down to the bottom of Derpco's plagiarized support article and noted the creation date, 2007 I then navigated to our company support website, support.ubertech.com and navigated to our own matching article, we both confirmed that it was the same article and I showed him the creation date of our article, 2005 web owner, oh, look at that. Me. I think it is safe to say that Derpco has stolen our content, did not even update the instructions, misleading you to send a support request to us. Web owner, I am sure you have a few things to take care of with Derp Co. I would appreciate it if you do not mention us when you call them. Me, of course sir. Thank you for your time with this. I immediately searched Derp Co.'s support website looking for more of our stolen content, found a total of five articles, and promptly printed them out and saved copies as PDF. So what to do in this situation? Do I call the owner of Derp Co.? This is a small town so I needed to be clever and not taint my own image. How do I get revenge? Hire a lawyer, leave the articles as is and hope more support requests come to us that can bring us business. Revenge unleashed no, I wrote a press release. News release release date, for immediate release title, Uber Tech endorsed by local competitor I got some great kudos from local businesses. One client in particular was rolling. Two days later I get an email form the owner of Derpco greater than I would appreciate it if you were to remove the press release from your website. This is a small town and it is just not good business. I went to their support site and still found three articles from our company. I wrote back and told him that I would be happy to do so, but there are at least still three articles on their support site that need to be removed. Two days later I got another email confirming that the articles were removed. Epilogue in the end I took down our press release but still have a copy kept in our office and would tell this story our new employees. Edits, fixed typos, abbreviations, added more clarification TLDR, competitor steals our KB articles and failed to make any revisions leaving our company info in the instructions. 
we created a press release to announce how they endorsed us as the instructions were sending their clients to us for support. The next post from Jeremiah Chubb is titled XBF and his ex caused me to almost off myself. I caused my ex-BF to lose his business. Dot. Hello everyone. Going to try to make this as short, sweet, and to the point as possible. I had been dating someone for a few months and decided to get an apartment in their hometown. Everything was going fine until I logged into a local chat room, think AOL days, to hopefully make some new friends and find out good places to go sing karaoke, and a weird username messaged me and said, hello, and nothing else. A few days later me and the BF, let's call him Bob, are supposed to meet up for breakfast and when I get there he is a messenger bag with him. I ask what he wants to eat, and he says he's not hungry. I ask him what's wrong and he pulls out about 20 pages of a chat log from that weird username on the website. In this chat log there is some very graphic adult stuff that was being discussed by that username. Also in that chat log, was my name commenting on it, which I never did. I asked him what this was, and of course he asked me to tell him what it was. I honestly had no idea, and told him so. He broke up with me right there over this. As I stated before that username had said hello to me, and that was it. This chat log was faked and no idea why someone would do that. When I got home crying my eyes out, my phone rang and there was a strange voice on the line, saying how that now that I'm single, I should go out with them and all sorts of crap. Then the text messages started about wanting to sexually assault me, and various other things. It was then it was reveled it was the ex of my now ex Bob. Called up Bob and told him what was going on and asked him why he gave my number to his ex. He said I should have tried to cheat on him with his ex. Again, never happened. Up until this, I thought Bob was going to be the person I spent my life with, that obviously didn't happen. Sad face, needless to say, this resulted in a police report being filed with pictures of all the text messages, and voicemails being given to the police. I almost killed myself that night over all of this. Bob's ex created this fake chat log to try to break us up, which it did, just to try to get him back, which it didn't work in the end. The revenge, my ex-BF Bob, was running a computer business and at the time Windows required CD keys to install. He was building custom computers for people but using a key generator to make the keys to install Windows and Microsoft Office 2003. I found this out, and decided to contact Microsoft and the anti-piracy groups and gave them all the information I had. I didn't hear anything more about it. Until, just before I moved back to my home state, the hammer fell. My ex lost his computer business and was fined over 100,000.00 for the software piracy. He still doesn't know who turned him in, but it cost him everything he had worked for. He was forced to move back in with his parents, sell his car, and get a job waiting tables. Was told I should post this here because we didn't know if this counted as pro or nuclear revenge. Update, I was asked why Bob got the brunt of this, well here it is Bob gave my contact info to his ex and that started a campaign of harassment by his ex towards me. Police wouldn't do anything because of his uncle being on the force. So Bob giving my phone number out to people and being the instigator and telling them to hit me up, as I later found out, is why he got the brunt of it. Rather have went after that sleaze ball ex of his, but I couldn't get info on him. I suspect the other reason that the police didn't do anything, was because of it involving three gay guys. Maybe if it had been a big city, maybe something would have been done back in 2005, but it being the Midwest, probably explains why the police there didn't give a rat's ass. Also I should mention that I have done some IT work in the past, so that's why I called Microsoft and the anti-piracy groups, because I knew what Bob was doing was piracy, and it would cost him everything if they dropped the hammer on him.
Which, it did. The next post from Feminine Threw Away is titled Trying to Take Me Home. Better make sure I am who you think. Dot. Unsure if this counts as pro-revenge, but I like to think so, on behalf of catcalling victims everywhere. Alright, so to understand the story, you have to understand a few things about me. I am a 19-year-old guy. Bye, with a boyfriend. I'm often told I have a very feminine body. I've posted in the femboy sub here and there with positive response, but this is a throwaway and I'm not going to link anything for privacy reasons. I was out on a date a few weeks ago with my boyfriend, who I'll refer to as Alex, 20. For storytelling's sake, I'll go by Liam. We had just finished a movie date and decided to roam the dark streets of nightly NYC afterwards, just to chat and spend time together, as we don't live together. It's important to note that I was dressed up. Like a girl, I'm talking a crop top and skirt, plus some thigh highs. Come for me all you want, I like to feel pretty LMAO. I was waiting outside the convenience store while Alex grabbed some snacks when a tall man, early 20s and dressed like your local dealer, walked up to me and tried to act sexy. I'll refer to him as Creep. Creep. What's up, baby? You know you shouldn't be out here so late, all alone. I said nothing. Creep. Now, come on, babe. When a man speaks to you, you respond. How about we go back to my place? Now, here's something I haven't mentioned. I have a high-ish voice. Still masculine, but high enough to where, if I try, I can muster up a good female voice. So I do. Me. Um. No. Not interested. Creep. Come on, I don't bite. I just want to have a little fun tilde, he got closer. I shook my head. At this point, Alex comes out with a bag of our snacks and notices the scene. Alex, everything alright, babe? Creep, babe, what, you're with this loser? Come on, let me show you what a real man can do for you. He put his hand on my hip. Alex started to walk forward but I signaled for him to stay back. I had a plan. I put my hand on Creep's, then wrapped his arm around me and cuddled into his chest. He smelled like cigarettes, disappointed parents, and failed dreams. I look up at him, still in my girl voice. Oh, him. Don't mind him. If you want me. Then I switch to my normal voice. Then you can have me. Immediately he pushed me into Alex's arms and storms off, yelling obscenities mixed with a few homophobic slurs here and there, plus some transphobia tossed in for good measure. Me and Alex both go into hysterical laughter, nearly falling over each other. Once we calm down, he looks to me. You're really an asshole. You gotta stop doing that to guys. He chuckled, hey, they all approached me. Today's last post from our oak expat is titled How I Got Our Translator Fired. I was working a job that had me operating in one-hour offices overseas. We would have business expenses, and those receipts would be in the language of the country we were in obviously. Those expenses were for things like printer ink, office equipment, cleaning services, marketing costs, all pretty standard stuff. Well around this time we got a new VP over our region who worked out of head office in LA. This VP came up with this brilliant idea to hire a translator to translate all of receipts to make sure we weren't sneaking in bullshit. Fair enough, however the issue that arose was that we had to send our expenses to the translator who would translate the receipt then submit for reimbursement. The problem was this translator was a real Karen type. She would demand better scans of the receipts, oftentimes after we had already thrown it away. She would argue if we really got the best deal on whatever we bought. I remember in one transaction on about $200 of ink cartridges she asked me why I didn't order online from this common website. To which I said they were out of stock at the time, and we needed the ink so we bought from a local store. 
to which she said I was spending too much money to which I said it's none of your concern, your job is to translate the receipt to which she said if I want her to submit my expenses I need to be nice to her to which I said she needs to learn her place she's a translator not a VP that gets to instruct me what to do after this encounter she started being extra anal with my expenses, so one day I came in the office early to call her and try and work things out. She basically told me that I screwed up by pissing her off, and she expected my expense reports to be perfect or she wouldn't submit them unless they were. I told her if she keeps this up she won't have a job much longer. She laughed and wished me well and hung up. A few months later we had our annual meeting in LA and after the meeting we were at a bar and I walked up to RVP and started up a conversation. I steered the conversation to expenses and I asked him how much in monthly expenses did he typically reimburse us for in the country we worked out of. He said about $3,000 to $4,000. I acted surprised and asked, is that all? He goes, yay, to clarify that $3,000 to $4,000 is the typical spend and he says yay it rarely gets above $4,000. So I ask him about how Karen our translator is doing, he says she's doing a good job and I nod my head and I go, how much fraudulent expenses has she caught? It's important to note, every employee that was submitting expenses was well paid, they'd be awfully stupid trying to skim some extra dollars via fraudulent expense reports. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well you hired her to ensure all the expenses you were reimbursing us for a legitimate right. Her job is to translate them for you correct. He says it is, and I ask, so is it safe to presume you've done that to ensure people aren't submitting BS expenses? He says, you could say that, I smile and ask, so how much in fraudulent expenses has she caught? He thinks for a moment and goes, I don't think she has caught any, so I ask, and how much do we pay her? He says it depends on her workload but between $2,500 to $3,000 oh, oh, a month. I smile and ask, does it make sense to pay someone $3,000 a month to translate $3,000 in receipts? Well she ensures we aren't getting fraudulent expenses, and I counter, well you said she hasn't count any in the last 9 months, and the expenses are always between $3,000 to $4,000 so as long as the expenses stay in that range wouldn't it be safe to assume that the expenses are legitimate? And couldn't you bring on a translator on a contract basis if they get out of hand? He sees my point and imagine the cost savings, we would probably save over $40,000 a year that's a good chunk of change isn't it? The VP tries to defend his position, but she does a good job, and I counter, but you could frame this as you've saved us $40,000 a year and created a baseline to judge expenses by, cutting costs is always good for the bottom line and the end of the year bonuses isn't it? FYI I knew that a major percent of a VP comp package with the company had to do with the company's margin at the end of the year, the bigger the margin, the bigger the bonus. You can see the twinkle in his eye we carry on the rest of the night, a few weeks later we get an email from the VP saying that we are submit to all our expenses directly to the admin for reimbursement and that we have let go of Karen. FYI Karen wasn't her real name obviously. TL. DR got my translator fired for being difficult by getting the VP to see she was a waste of money.